0: Okay, so we are studying Hebrews and let's pray. Mark, we need to pray for you. You're having some serious physical problems? Yeah, yeah. lungs, right? right? Yeah, Mark is, really needs the Lord's touch. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do lift up our brother Mark and pray that you would miraculously and powerfully touch him and bring healing. Lord, we, we lift him up, we care about him and pray for his well-being. And Heavenly Father, um, what a privilege it is to hear Your Word proclaimed and hear the Gospel and to open the Bible up together and to explore our common salvation. And uh, we're so privileged. And we thank You, Lord, for this opportunity in Jesus' name. Amen. One more thing I was going to tell you about that story, about the lady whose church... The, all three pastors resigned because the elders wouldn't let them cast their vision. Um, I told that to MacArthur. They had a. John MacArthur's in town, and, and there was a pastor's breakfast with just like 20 of us. So I got to talk to John MacArthur, and I brought that up. I told that story. And, and, and MacArthur says, That's the opposite. That's the needle in the haystack. He said, The opposite is what's happening. He says, We're having, I, th- I think he said, 70 to 100 young men trained in theology, graduating from Master's Seminary every year. And Al Moeller in Kentucky with his Southern Baptist, they have a conservative seminary because they purged the liberals out of it, Moeller did. And he says, and they're graduating more than I am. And, and these young people are going out, trained in the gospel, um, to preaching the Word of God, and they're going into churches and they're getting fired. They're getting thrown out of churches. One, he says, they they go into a church and the church spits them right back out. He said the one you're talking about is the needle in the haystack. He says most of the churches don't want a pastor that's going to preach the gospel. They want a, ch- pa- a pastor that'll make the church successful. And a young guy. Uh, they, so their their problem that MacArthur's talking about is how. Uh, these uh, these young men, what are they going to do if they keep getting fired? They're going to feed their families. They got to do something. So uh, pray for the evangelical movement in America. It's uh, just an alarming, alarming situation. So, I, I honestly, I think on what these guys are going to have to do, and this is exactly what um, um, George Cable said when we were up there. He said. We're going to have to start over like we did in the 50s. We're going to have to start storefront churches and just bite the bullet and be poor for a while and preach the gospel until the Lord gathers His remnant and start over. Maybe you're true. Okay, talking about running with endurance the race. Hebrews 12.11. Now, we've been talking about the discipline of the Lord. So... Uh, we 've for several weeks now, and it 's been a very interesting discussion. but here it says all discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful but sorrowful, yet to those who are, have been trained by it afterwards, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness so this is a truism. Um, the worst thing about any endeavor is the discipline part of it right uh, actually having the, if you 're an athlete, the game is the fun part the getting trained for it 's the hard part right and uh, have you ever been a cross-country runner? Anybody? I used to. Anybody else have a misspent youth? <laughs> <laughs> I always kept asking myself, why do I do this? But the training is just rigorous. You just think you're going to die. So, spiritually, it's no different. What we need, the Lord knows exactly what we need. We were talking about this last week. And what we need is Discipline. And if we submit to the Lord's discipline, it's a difficult process. It's a lot easier just to go your own way or go the path of the world or go the path of least resistance. But to undergo the discipline of the Lord, it says it doesn't seem joyful. It tells us right up front, it seems sorrowful. But if you're trained, back to our athletic metaphor, it yields a peaceful fruit. Now, this is an agricultural one. Literally, it says yields a harvest. And the harvest is peace and righteousness uh, and changed lives. And there's an already not yet aspect to this. I believe that God changes us now. When when people are born again and fed the Word of God, we've got to fix that. <laughs> Jesse went down and tried flipping it, but I just, there's a circuit breaker doing that. Um, they're trained on the Word of God, fed in the Word of God. They will grow. And the result will be righteousness. Now, we already have the imputed righteousness of Christ. Boy, did MacArthur explain that clearly and beautifully. How many were there? Good for you. Wasn't it great? Oh, it's like the road to Emmaus. Outstanding. Um, And he was talking about just this infinite righteousness of Christ that and and he and while well, he was talking to the pastors about that I think even more so than he did Friday night he says we can't we we don't realize how miserably sinful we are and how how we really deserve God's wrath and and that he's a merciful God that he allows anybody to live he's showing goodness continually by allowing people to live that spurn his name and we don't also don't realize how utterly holy and righteous he is and this gulf between the wicked, miserable sinner and the holy, righteous God is huge. And he says that the problem with modern theology is we lift man up and we bring God down so there's hardly any gap anymore. So God is just uh, this friend that you can just sort of get to know, kind of a buddy. Right. Right? The whole chapter, how to make God smile. Noah was a good man. He made God smile. That's what it says in A Purpose Driven Life. But you know what it says in the Bible? Noah found grace from God. See, so he, so MacArthur was telling us pastors, he lifts, the theology lifts up the sinner so that we don't seem so bad, takes God down a few notches so he seems a little more on our level, and then we don't have a big gulf and so then you don't need a really big gospel, do you? And you don't understand the, the blood atonement, you don't understand imputed righteousness, and you don't understand the, the glorious mercy that God has shown us, and and not understanding that, we can't understand the Bible.
1: Yes. I think that the, our concept of how big the gulf is has a lot to do with the value of the gospel itself. Amen. The bigger the gulf, the more wonderful the gift of the gospel, the more gratitude we have so that it works its way out in our life. If we are given a little gift. The one who's forgiven little doesn't have much much, for, much uh, gratitude. much so so one who's forgiven a lot exudes that because
0: he understands the good value right. of the gift. Yeah, so I, I totally agree, and there's a, Jesus said that. Who's going to love the most? The one to forgive the most, been forgiven the most. I was talking about this sinner, this woman, that he came and was wiping his feet with her hair and tears. Now, I, yeah, I, I, I read one book many years ago that said that the reason people don't understand the good news is they don't have any bad news, at least they don't think. And so the the bad news isn't so bad, so the good news isn't so good. It's just sort of nice. Wouldn't it be nice to be a Christian? (laughs) And so um, MacArthur is um, epitomizes what a preacher should be, in my opinion. Uh, That was fabulous. He can't open his mouth without talking about the glories of the gospel. He just can't. That's all he can talk about. And after doing it for 37 years... He can't talk about anything but the glories of the gospel. Well, I, I pray that may, by God's grace that would be true for me. really would like that to be true. Um, yields are fruit of righteousness. So there's an already not yet. In some regards, this doesn't happen until the end. Okay, When Christ returns and we're resurrected, and we will be like him, we'll be righteous. But in another sense, there's an already, because there is a real sanctification and changes now. All right? Not perfect, but real. I think Francis Schaeffer had a good way of describing it. He called it substantial. He says, It doesn't all happen until the end, but we have substantial healing now. It's a very good way of saying it. It has substance to it. And if our lives haven't changed at all, we have reason to wonder whether the gospel has had a work at all in us. Right? Yes. I was going to mention
2: this last week, but didn't have the opportunity to. The way we learn is we can learn by reading something or seeing something, and we can learn by the mistakes of others, and we can learn by going through the experience ourselves. And if we pay attention to what God's Word is and apply that to our lives, we don't have to pay the consequences of making bad decisions.
0: That's a good point. The Bible has both in it, doesn't it? And we were just talking about that earlier when we were talking about the genealogies and the different stories. The the writers draw on different stories. The New Testament writers draw on different stories out of the Old, depending on what point they're trying to make. And it's just like you said. Stephen drew on the stories of failure. Was when Stephen gave his speech in Acts, he he said, "Here's what God did. Here's what our fathers did. (laughs) They rebelled. And here's what God did. And here's what our fathers did. They rebelled. And here's what God did. And here's what our fathers did. They rebelled. Here's what God did. He sent Jesus." Here's what you did. You rebelled. Now there's the sermon. And they loved it so much, they put their hands over their ears and went screaming toward him, picked up stones and killed him. But they knew it was true. And there are certain one standing there, Saul, who was later converted and became Paul. All right, So we can learn from the mistakes because somebody in the Bible already made them. That's, the Bible is very realistic. It has the good and the bad in it. There's only a couple characters in the whole Bible that doesn't tell us that we're not told about their mistakes and their sins, their evil deeds, I should say. Uh, very little said about what Joseph ever did that was wrong. Sure, he was a sinner because he was a human. Very little said about what Daniel ever did that was wrong. But everybody else did a lot of wrong things. <laughs> they failed God many times, so we can learn from their failures. Yes. And
3: one of the, others, the other characters in the Bible uh, is Mary, that we never know, we don't know anything about her sins. And the reason I bring that up is because I was listening to Catholic TV yesterday, uh, and they were saying that she was sinless, that she is the, 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 uh,
4: the Eve to Adam, to the
0: next. I heard that. I've heard that argument before.
1: Yeah. When he comes and tries to take Jesus, does he think he is crazy? In there.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah there, there, there's things that she did that, was, that she didn't understand. And Jesus said, who's my mother and my brothers but the ones that do the will of God? Yes. Good point. If she wasn't a sinner, why she need a sacrifice?
4: So exactly.
0: Exactly. Uh, MacArthur, the only time he got heckled, did you see that when that guy yelled when he he started talking about the Catholics? (laughs) And Mary? So some guy goes mad about that. Um, What about this fruit of righteousness? Afterwards it yields. So God is concerned about righteousness. So in order that we might partake in righteousness, we go through painful... Unpleasant discipline. What's what's it, What sort of things would be fit in that category of God disciplining us? What's it look like? <clears throat> Guilty conscience, of failing in front. Of, <laughs> you know what? You know what? What really works? Failing in front of other people <laughs> that you're trying to impress. I remember that happened to me when when I was in Bible college. <clears throat> And uh, I was witnessing vociferously to all of my coworkers, and they were you know, I was taking a lot of flack from them, they called me a Bible thumper, and they were always teasing me and tell me stuff because I was a Christian, and I kept telling them they need to repent, and believe the gospel. Well, one day I was in a really surly mood. You know, Diane will say one day. <laughs> See, I shouldn't have took her to MacArthur I shouldn't have I shouldn't have took her to the MacArthur meeting because that guy came out and said that MacArthur had never been angry at his wife was. Diane's one (laughs) she said nothing. So she's not married to MacArthur. (laughs) Well anyhow, I was in a surly mood that day and there was this lady that was a coworker that somehow was sick every Friday. Funny so and anyway, Never, she's never sick on Thursday or Tuesday or, but sick on Friday. And so, I, and then when she was, quote, sick on Friday, I had to work twice as hard because she wasn't there. So one day I came in and I was just, just bitterly, that lazy, like, you know, muttering and lazy, she's not sick, she's skipping out and why don't they do something about it? Why does anybody else around here want to work besides me? And, and, uh, and i was going on like that and then this other guy came in it started later than i did and he came in to work and was just happy and cheerful he was a guy that i was um had been witnessing to and they, he came in and they told the well nita's sick again okay i'll just work harder and he sat down and i'm sitting there i'm i just i i i prayed lord why do you let me fail in front of these people <laughs> Because I did. I needed that. That was the discipline of the Lord. It made me think about my attitude. That, the, How come the pagans that are rejecting the Gospel come in here with a better attitude than me? And I'm the one witnessing to them. Now, that's the discipline of the Lord because public failure is not fun. I'd rather fail out in the woods.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Keith. Keith. Yeah, I think that the concept of the word carrying you know, the gospel itself being the word, instead of you, have, if you had to be perfect, that's the you know things that we were told often when I was young, is that we had to be the message. And our failings, then we're a failing of the gospel, and if we failed, nobody could get saved kind of concept. Whereas, no, I don't now believe we understand it, is that we're broken vessels. We fail all the time, bad as that is. We want to be better. But the gospel itself is pure, and what saves people, not my being.
0: Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. In fact, I did, when somebody says the missionary is the message, I say that's a lie. That's that's heresy. Jesus Christ is the message. And Jesus and Paul himself says we have these this um treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency might be of him and not of us. And of our God and so then uh I'm not. Yelled, what else did Paul say? I preached out myself, but Jesus Christ had him crucified. But nevertheless, I don't like failing because <laughs> it makes me look bad. And um so there's many ways. So Let's just put it this way: whatever we need, that would be the perfect training for us. God is capable of giving that to us uniquely, as every individual is. God knows exactly what sort of training we need. Yes.
2: Yeah, last. I lead a Bible study and
3: the first first one this semester just went really well, you know, and like you know, and afterward I was like, you know, I'm kinda getting into hang
2: of this now, you know, and I'm, I'm never thinking, you know and, and then this week I just like I got there and I couldn't think
3: how to do this thing. I just like couldn't think of questions and you know, it's like God just humbled me with that, you know, I was like wrong people. <laughs>
0: That reminds me when I went to Bible college. I was transferred from Iowa State University to North Central Bible College. And Iowa State was very rigorous. I was studying chemical engineering and I was a junior, so I was used to really rigorous academics. And when I went to Bible college, it wasn't, it wasn't exact, I'm not saying it wasn't good, but it wasn't of the same, um, scholastic intensity that, you know, I wasn't doing differential calculus or stuff like that. And so I remember saying, Well, this is gonna be easy. There's nothing to this, this Christian thing, that's easy. Whoops. <laughs> <laughs> that didn't last through the whole semester, and I found out the hard yeah, it might be easy to memorize the stuff you need for the test, but to live up to it is very, very hard. Because you fall right on your face. Larry. with
4: uh, this training and trials, did you kind of is that kind of right in line with like James one Two, three,
0: Very good. Do you have it there? Do you want to read it?
4: Yeah. It says, Consider pure joy, my brothers whenever you face trials of many kinds because you know that just testing of your faith develops. Perseverance, perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything.
0: Yes. Perfect cross-reference. James, what did you just read? James 1? James 2-4. Well, James one 2-4. The same thing. <clears throat> so there... Excuse me. <clears throat> So there, it specifically says that trials are what God uses to perfect us. All right, and the word for there in the Greek dokimazo, means uh, it's a word from a say from a saying where they would take mineral and crush it down to see if there's any gold in it. And so it's like being crushed in a crucible, and if there's pure gold, it'll come out. So sometimes we need to be crushed. It seems. But the point of it is for our good. I have some other cross references, by the way. Um, here, I'll start over here. I want to get people close so it comes on the mic. Um Psalm, <coughs> excuse me, Psalm one eighteen, eighteen. So okay, Psalm one eighteen, eighteen, and Pat, Proverbs nineteen, eighteen, and uh Noel, Romans five, three through five, Diane Bukowski, two Corinthians four seventeen, and Diane DeWay, James Three, seventeen, and 18. There's another one in James. Okay? <clears throat> so, Psalm 118.
1: 18.
4: Uh, the Lord hath chastened me sore, and he hath not given me over unto death.
0: The Lord has chastened me sore, but hath not, but hath not given me over to death. So, that means that God crushed me, but he didn't kill me. <laughs> Paul says that in Corinthians, as a matter of fact. Um, The next one is Proverbs 19 and verse 18.
3: Discipline your son while there is hope, and do not desire his death.
0: Okay, discipline your son now. Okay, uh, Romans 5, 3-5. And not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance. And perseverance, proven character. And proven character, hope. And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who is given to us. So the tribulations, one of the results is proven character. How do you get proven character? It's gotta be tested. You might think, the Bible says, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. So, you know, when we're young and full of ourselves, I can pass the test. Right? It's like me when I went to Bible college. Boy, this is going to be a breeze. This being a Christian thing, this, it's all downhill and with the wind for a couple of weeks. <laughs> yes.
4: You know, in the psalmist in Psalm 119.71, he kind of welcomed that because he said, uh, It was good that I, was that I might learn the law. Whether he was a affliction or uh, something that came upon him that God
0: provident. It was good that I was afflicted. Yeah, either way. Yeah. That I might learn your law. And I think we looked one up last week. It was, b- before I was afflicted, I went astray. There's another one in the, of the Psalms. Okay, and then um, 2 Corinthians 4 17.
4: For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of the glory.
0: Okay. the Afflictions are a moment. A lifetime is like a little vapor, it says in James. But eternity is forever. Another great thing MacArthur said at the pastor's breakfast. I think he repeated it in the evening. He says, there's really only one thing that we can and need to be doing here that we can't do in heaven. And he says... That is preach the gospel so that people will be converted. <laughs> yeah. so we won't have to convert anybody in heaven, all right He says we won't have to try to wipe out AIDS in heaven because there won't be any, and I think I know what he was alluding to um, but we we're here for one reason to preach the gospel that people could be converted now um so this is a short life, it's temporary but it has a point of making us prepared for glory. James three seventeen and 18.
3: But the wisdom from above is pure, then peaceful, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering, without hypocrisy. And the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace.
0: Okay, the fruit of righteousness is a, the cross-reference there. The same thing it says here, fruit of righteousness. And that is... A result of wisdom from above. God's wisdom is peaceable, pure, and so forth. So it's a descriptive of what God's wisdom looks like. So for those who are disciplined, there is a future harvest of righteousness. Now, Hebrews 12.12, 12, Therefore strengthen the hands that are weak and the knees that are feeble. And in verse 13 goes along with it. Make straight the paths for your feet, so that the limb which is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. So, therefore, is a causal, logical connection because of the fact that God disciplines us. Therefore, strengthen in the hands that are weak. Now, I know some of this is going to be Ryan's sermon. So, I'm good at spoiling things for you, ain't I? I totally ruined his hermeneutics class by giving Nance your Sunday... <laughs> But I was thinking right after that, Ryan, though, you could use that for a test to see who showed up in church on Sunday. (laughs) If you didn't know the answer, it proved you weren't in church. (laughs) Yeah, because his his homework was what is the point of Simeon's um, dialogue, or Simeon's exclamation, and then I preached on a Sunday and told him what it was. Oh, well. We may do that again here. You're going to preach on correcting one another and helping people that have fallen, yep. and that's that's what this passage here is about. I don't know if you plan it for cross reference, but in Hebrews twelve, twelve and thirteen, what the point of it is that within the Christian community, this drooping the, the drooping hands um, and feeble knees would be descriptive of someone who's been in the fight. And is exhausted. It would be like a boxer after 10 rounds. And, and you get the feeling like, just knock me out. I'm tired of this. You, because you just can't get it up anymore. And, and there may be Christians in the community who are weary from the battle. And are needing to be... Yes?
1: Well, Isn't there I think not just weary from the battle of life, but they're weary from the afflictions and the weary from the discipline itself?
0: Yes, 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 yes.
1: Our goal is to, to say, well, this is the discipline of God. It's been filtered through His hands. So you don't have to think that He's angry with you, It's because He loves you and bring them back to the gospel right. and give them.
0: That, that's the therefore. They're weary because this discipline is tough, and they're tempted to just quit. Yes. You know, I'm
3: just, I'm, most of you know, I'm writing a, a book on just the means of grace and stuff. And a, cha- a chapter that I'm writing right now is on suffering, because suffering is something that the Lord uses to refine us. But the difference is, is we don't devote ourselves to suffering, as many people have throughout church history. The,
0: the monastics, yeah.
3: They, you know, they you know, like Luther would have flagellated himself. And then, um, all sorts of other examples. And I was doing some reading on this yesterday. It's a very interesting uh, point that uh, a pastor from the 18th century wrote. Really he said, uh, we, we don't choose our mode of discipline. Because the Lord is the one who sees, he's our father, he sees what we need, he sees all of our inclinations. So it's up to him uh-huh. to choose the mold, the way, the event that is going to discipline us. If we are choosing our way of discipline, number one, we're so short-sighted it's not going to work. And number two, we're putting ourselves in the place of the father to
0: discipline. Yeah, it's presumptuous. Yep. I, I used that argument in my article about uh, spiritual disciplines uh, in refuting Dallas Willard because he's drawing on these Catholic mystics and it's presumptuous to think that we know what we need. God does it. Absolutely. So, yeah, we don't have to go sleep on a bed of nails or um, you know, uh, join a monastery, take an oath of poverty. Uh, that's what they were doing in, in the Middle Ages because they thought that way they'd be more holy. And it's presumptuous to think we can make ourselves holy by what we think we need. What we need to do is go about life Faithfully serving God, availing ourselves of the means of grace—that's what you're writing a book about. And God will care about the, for us in our discipline, however He sees fit, in whatever mode we can best use. Yes. You
4: know, I was—he said something that brought to mind Romans 8:18, 8, where it says, "I consider that the present
0: sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory of Yeah, the present sufferings. Now, that's nothing compared to what's going to. Do. Absolutely, and and this whole life is characterized by sufferings, particularly for Christians. And we've talked about this the last few weeks as we were going through this section on the Lord's Discipline, but it's harder to live in this world as a Christian than as a non-Christian. Why? Because we're going against the grave. We have to resist the world, the flesh, and the devil. So everything we're hearing and seeing and everything going on around us is making us feel like we're always swimming upstream. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. And what going on, well, right, that's the flesh. We have to fight external and internal battles, both. Um, Luther talked about that. And so as a Christian, because we have the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit convicts the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. So the Holy Spirit doesn't let us just go do whatever we want to do without having conviction about it. Okay? And so the temptation here, the feeble knees and the droopy, I'm tired of battle, would be some of these Christians are saying, I've had enough of this. If I just exit this Christian community and go back to whatever I was in the world, I can be done with it. I'm too tired. I can't fight it anymore. That's the danger. And it says here that if we see that happening, it's our job to to gather to that weak, that person who's so weak that they're tempted to to backslide or to quit, and to bring them in and strengthen them, to 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 share the strength that we have with the one who doesn't. Yes, Denise. And
4: I think also in today people are giving up the battle and going with what their church is going with. Some 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 people have been fighting so long that they finally give in to the false teaching.
0: Well, give in to false teaching because it seems easier. It's yeah, you have to keep it's fighting the it. The church that has it. The oh, thing. the stories. Yes, there's a guy who talked to me at the MacArthur thing Friday night in the break. He visited here once. He was sitting over by you, Lori, I think. And he, and he was telling me a story of what he's gone through in his church. It's unbelievable. They had, they had the false apostles and prophets movement come in, uh, to a church whose denominations, and he, and he fought it and fought it, and they wouldn't give it up, so he went to another one. And now they're bringing in the Richard Foster, Dallas Willard mysticism, and he's fighting, fighting that, and it's like an endless battle. And yeah, I think some people would be tempted, and I think a lot of people have done it, say, well, I know this isn't exactly what they used to preach, but let's just, why well, keep fighting, just let it happen. Years ago when I was
2: backslidden, I used to call my mother from California, and the very first thing she would say to me is, are you going to church again? And I wasn't. I was pretty backslidden. But the point being is, we had long discussions, and I, I'm, I'm telling her, well, I can't be wrong. You know, what? how I'm living my life cannot be wrong. The whole world is doing it. <laughs> <laughs> and you really need to know what side of the fence you're on. And, and you can use the same argument with what's happening in the church today. The whole church is doing this. It can't be wrong. And it's very frustrating. Very frustrating. It's very frustrating for someone like you to stand up there and proclaim the gospel. When
0: I was at that CBA, um, a lot of people said, and my book talks about this whole purpose-driven movement, not just the book, Purpose-Driven Life, but the whole movement, the, the ministry, philosophy, everything that goes with it. And and it's interesting, people were polite. I only had a couple of people that argued with me and they were polite about it. But I, I, they said, they just looked bemused. They, they they'd say, I didn't know anybody was against this. And then and then they said, "Well, I read that whole book and I didn't see anything wrong in there." Well, what? Your discerners broke. <laughs> I couldn't I couldn't get through page one before I even got to day one. It says Ephesians 1:11 out of the message. It wasn't. We're not even on day one. So I got the book because somebody here got kicked out of a Bible study. That's how I, this whole thing happened because one of our members got kicked out of a Bible study. For bringing a Bible. And it's, yeah, and one of, he, he, this guy calls me, says, I got kicked out of Bible study for bringing a Bible. <laughs> I said, tell me about it. And I hadn't even heard of this. And he, and he said, have you heard of Rick Warren? I said, well, we had to read a book of his in seminary, but I didn't like it. He said, well, he came over to our house, remember? And and Diane and I sat down with him and his wife, and, and we, he just showed me the book. He says, look at this. And I go, what is this? But how can somebody say I read the whole thing? I didn't see anything wrong with it. Uh, Pete and then Kathy. I
3: was just going to say, with the comment that you had made about people who, who get get, to, get weak and, and tired and, and, and miserable, they they fall into that that well now the church is moving into this direction. I think I'll do this because it seems easier, less uh, time consuming, less energy meetings. Then you don't find any of the brothers and sisters around you who will help you do this. You don't find the people, the brothers, the ones who are going
0: to be in your family, not your biological family, a family of God. Amen. Nobody is there to help you because we all need each other to help us get up. Amen.
3: When you're not there, you don't have that, and then you just feel like you're alone. and There's nobody
0: to... Absolutely. yeah, absolutely, Pete. And I talk to people. That's what literally what happens. And MacArthur was talking about that too. He said one of the things that's totally absent from the seeker movement is church discipline. And he mentioned that. I don't know how many times he mentioned that. And I'm talking about any kind of church discipline. And you can be a gay married couple, and they don't, and it's fine. And so nobody's going to hold you in account. And it's easier to fall if you don't have brothers and sisters. And Ryan's going to preach on this. We don't want to take, but he'll, he'll talk about that in his sermon in Galatians 6. But uh, the fact is, we all need somebody looking over our shoulder with the Bible in hand, saying together we're going to serve God acceptably by his grace. Not that we're going to be hypocritical or judgmental, but we're going to help people get out of the pit rather than saying it doesn't matter that you're in it. Do you see the difference? Because once you say it doesn't matter, then how are we ever going to change? Kathy, you had something. I think when people first discover that a lot of things
3: they've been fed for so long was wrong, it just really starts to frighten them that they know that it's like they built their house on sand. And it's like I invited a friend to John McCarthy. I gave him his wife tickets, and he said the next morning on Saturday he called. and said, "I didn't sleep last night. My heart is bleeding. Do you mean to tell me the things I've been fed for 20 years are wrong, like Copeland and Megan?"
0: They are you got to give up Copenhagen when, you know, Trump. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> no, <I'm>, sorry. <laughs> I, it just came into my mind. I had to say it. <laughs> all right. Okay. You meant the faith teachers. I, I meant the cha. You know, all those things <laughs> were wrong. And then it's <laughs> frightening to know, you know, to unwind and find out i that you know, you know what's an important point, and, and uh, thank you, Kathy and MacArthur brought this up too, and it came up in the debate, and that is an attack on the certainty of Scripture and the clarity of Scripture, all right. And this came up in the debate, and this is uh, both on the radio and in person. Uh, Doug Paget said, "Have you ever been wrong?" His implication was, if you ever thought something was true and then was corrected later that you should know that you can't ever know that anything's true. Mm -hmm. And so you have perpetual uncertainty and since you don't know what the Bible really says and nobody does, we might as well just have our experience and do whatever we see fit. And and that's what MacArthur talked about. I don't know, how many times he mentioned the emerging church? Over and over again. And he says it's an attack on the clarity of Scripture. Now the fact is, yes, I have been wrong and yes, I've been corrected by the Bible. But the point isn't that therefore I'm sure everything I believe now must be wrong too. No, the point is I believe the Bible will keep correcting me if I'm wrong. If I stay in it and if I submit to its authority. And the reason I changed a belief in the past is because I studied the Bible, the Bible showed me that my idea was wrong and I never, my idea never did come from the Bible.
1: Mm-hmm.
4: Okay? Alright. We... Yeah, I think
1: that the strengthening knees concept as well is when you're you're weak in a certain area, especially in some sin or some concept, or, you know, I want wealth, or I want healing or just something that is there, you're, you're continuously saying, God, I'm sorry. God, I'm sorry. This gulf between you and God becomes more and more obvious how many times you fail, and, you know, serially, you know, I'm a serial failure. <laughs> and, and, and after a while, and I think it's the reason it's there, you finally realize that really, I really am a sinner. It's not just that i made a mistake every once in a while. This thing is a chronic problem. And at that point, your knees are weak, and God has really beat you in a place where you have two choices. You can say, well, it really isn't wrong because I can't change, therefore it's not
0: wrong. Yeah, or everybody else is like this so too. and
1: I accept it, and then it's mitigated, or I go to the Gospel and say, Father, I have a problem, and your brothers you know, bring you the Gospel, and you you're saved out of it one or two ways. Yeah.
0: So the best way to get saved out of it is agree that you need to. The gospel is powerful. Uh, Larry.
4: Yeah, you know, and because this is a body, you know, and people come alongside and try to help us, you know, and I like that when you say serial sinner or try to repeat repentance. But, uh, <laughs> all those verses in the Bible that talk about the one another's and each other's.
0: One another, yeah.
4: And MacArthur has in his one book commentary the positive ones and the negative ones, uh-huh. you know, as a place to start you know, in terms of body relationships.
0: Absolutely. When I was looking up cross-references for some of these verses, and I found all kinds of ones like that, we need one another, but this fellowship that we have with one another is around the means of grace, not around just showing up at an activity. And that's what the problem is. If you just show up and play bingo, that's not going to sanctify you. All right. No more picking on a Catholic city. All right. Yes.
4: Um, It it talks about how how miserable you are, and then it talks about strengthening um, and and making the straight path.
0: Yes. The charismatic movement
4: made a lot of people miserable. They didn't know where to go. Everything is falling apart. Everything is, is, you know, the whole thing. And the answer is, is the straight path. Our path had gotten off. We were following the wider path, or the crooked path. And the answer is, in Jesus, it's a straight path.
3: Yeah, this and we have to bring each other back to the straight
0: path. The reason that path wasn't straight was because it was based on subjective mystical impressions. Yeah. And subjective mystical impressions will never bring people to the same place. And I've had people, I was thinking about this when I was looking at these verses because people over the years said, told me, well, you're an enemy of unity. I said, I am not. Yes, you're an enemy of unity. Why? Because you correct you correct error. And I, I just don't understand the thinking. <laughs> error is the enemy of unity. Truth brings us together. That's right. All right? And I, I I love the unity of the fellowship. I feel unity with people that just come in the door that I had never met before this Sunday and I talked to them and their heart is crying out for the gospel and the word of God, I got more unity with them immediately than I never even met before than I will with somebody who wants to teach some foolish doctrine and call it from God. How can you have unity with that? And, and it doesn't mean, even MacArthur's talking about that. And that, Not that everything is important, but important, but he's getting together with some top, um, conservative leaders and praying together. They spent three days praying together and discussing how to bring some sort of boundaries to the evangelical movement because we're going all off the map. And he said, but the guys that he was meeting with, he didn't agree with any one of them on eschatology because there was an amillennialist and a postmillennialist and this and that. And he says, well, I'll tell you what, if God writes a book, I think he can get the ending correct. <laughs> and MacArthur... MacArthur, he's got it right too. It's, it's premillennial. That's what's right. Okay, yes.
1: The, the Bible talks about
0: oil and water and dark and light and Jesus said I come to divide. I don't know where unity comes in. <laughs> he comes to divide. Well, I wrote an article called True and False Unity that discusses this, but the unity is the unity of the faith. We have the unity of the Spirit by being converted. Everyone who's truly born of God has the Holy Spirit and we have spiritual unity that's been given by God through regeneration. But the unity of the faith you have to strive for. And that's the whole process of teaching the the gifts that God gave to the church that we might come to the truth of the gospel. And as we strive for the unity of the faith, God brings us closer and closer together. Do you you, you know that to be true? Yeah, and so as we get closer together, in the gospel, we are finding beloved, wonderful people that love Jesus Christ. And those people, I promise you from experience, they'll be there for you. I don't care how bad things have gotten, and I've had some stretches where it was so bad I wanted to give up. And But there were people there that loved me, they're still here, and... Told me what I needed to do and were going to stick with me until I got it done, what I needed to do. And God has that for you as well. But it's found in the, in the gospel and in the, in the word of God, not just in corporate unity under some vision casting. Okay? That's, I call it McDonald's unity. (laughs) Everybody's on the same team, so. Okay, one more, Linda, then we got to be done. Just
3: going against the grain. I remember I was involved in a New Age thing way back, the S train. And one of their life verses or mottos was, ride the horse in the direction it's going. And that seems to
1: fit.
0: Oh, ride right, the horse in the direction. So you let the horse guide you? I, yeah, yeah, that's sort of like the one where it's like water. You follow the course of least resistance. You know.
3: That was so profound
0: Yeah, just get on the horse and see where it goes. But they forgot to tell you the horse is going to hell. All right. God bless you, dear beloved brothers and sisters, and thanks for sharing in the fellowship.